Good morning, everyone. Wow, I was sitting in the front row. I didn't realize how many people were behind me. There we go. Good crowd. Amen. And uh, we'll, we'll jump into this in just a moment. I tell you, I was a little, uh, not thrown off, but Pastor was asking me for the scripture because he was going to put it on the, on the bulletin. And I, I promise you, <clears throat> this morning, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a lot of Bible throughout the week, but this morning I really just want to encourage everyone. And so I hope to do that. I hope to be a blessing to you this morning, encouragement. But I thought when he asked me for the text, and I don't know if you've already looked at it, but it talks about the devil getting kicked out of heaven and stuff. It doesn't seem very encouraging. But we're going to get into it, and it'll make much more sense. I want to thank the church for the, the great room that y'all put us up in. I appreciate that. The kids, when they walked in and saw the gift basket, they went bonkers. And, and they were very excited and didn't leave any for us. Amen. But um, uh, we did have a great, uh, great time last night just with the kids being very excited. And, um, and I do want to tell you that uh, choir, congratulations to you. I guess is this the first time since COVID that they've been back? That's wonderful. And, and like the pastor said, if you can, even if you're not a good singer, get up there and just say watermelon, watermelon quietly next to the next guy. Just it's, it'll be an encouragement to everyone who comes. And so uh, definitely take, take part of that. I want to tell you, this may seem like an odd thing to say because, you know, I'd like to think that I'm not much older than, than, than pastor, but, but I just, when I came on property today and I started meeting you, and the people here are so nice, so friendly, so kind, and uh, so, so warm to me just, in the, the, just upon my arrival, and I walked through the building. I was here a few years ago just passing through, and to see the, the, the updates to the building and just see the progress, and then I just sat back and I watched Pastor greet people. And I'm telling you, he loves you. I had this sense of pride. Sorry, I'm a crier. I, y'all, if y'all just laugh at me, it'll make me feel a lot better. Just, just, all right. There we go. You all didn't expect that, did you? There we go. All right. So, but I did, I thought this morning, man, this guy's doing a great job. I love him and I'm proud of him. And, uh, okay, let's see how many times the guy stopped and grabbed a tissue today, all right? Uh, We'll try, we'll try to keep it going here. So, but look, hey, like, like I said, though, y'all have a great spirit here. You got something good here. And uh, we don't always realize what we have, you know. But you do. I, I get to go to different churches, and you have something good going on here. So I just want to point that out to you. And actually, he said about me that I was sincere. I literally, you can check it if you want. I wrote on the top here, these people are sincere. And so uh, it was meant to be. Now, look, like I said, this message... You can turn to Isaiah 14, uh, have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 14. We'll start here. This is just a launching spot. I will skip around uh, through the Bible, but you won't have to turn to many verses this morning. Tonight, I will turn through a bunch of verses, and throughout the week, we'll look at a lot of scriptures. But today, if you just want to establish the thought in Isaiah 14, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll start from there. I'm going to pray and just ask God to help me. As we jump into this message, and, I, and um, as I will pray, I, I don't want to get in God's way of dealing with whoever he's here to deal with today, you know. And, um, but, it, but it's a big deal. It's a big deal that we open our hearts up to God, you know. And by the way, anyway, you're already here, so why not, right? <laughs> We're here. We already drove. We already got dressed up. Let's just, let's just see what God has for us today, all right? And uh, let's pray. Lord, I love you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this morning. I've already been stirred with the singing and with the, the praise of our God who died on the cross for us to save us from our sins, God. And just uh, thinking about that through song this morning, thinking about that and the, the importance of the gospel, uh, the encouragement from that video reminding us what we're here for is to, 
to get people the gospel. And God, just as I've been blessed already, Lord, and I want to be a blessing to this thy people, but I don't want to get in the way of it, Lord. I pray that you would use me for your glory, God, that you would use my mouthpiece, my mouth as your mouthpiece to, to say what you have said this morning, that you would stir the hearts. And Lord, where I will always come up short, I pray, Father, that you will uh, do like you always faithfully do and come through, Lord, and that you will speak to hearts. You know the needs of this uh, group of people, Lord, and I pray that you would meet with us in a special way this morning. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, now, I'm going to read these verses, starting in verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the, uh, weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, just by way of introduction, I just want to remind you of some things here. But the devil, Lucifer, started as an angel in heaven. You understand, he's a created being like, uh, like any other created being. And he was in heaven, and in heaven he was actually had a special position. Okay, and I just want to build this thought here to, to lay the foundation for this message. And he was very particular, very unique. The Bible says that he was very beautiful. He had uh, like gemstones all throughout his body. And to see the devil would have been just an amazing sight when he was in heaven. The Bible talks about him having pipes in his body like he was a a living instrument and you understand that not only did he have this beauty about him that's uncomparable to anything that we would probably understand also he had this sound i believe that resonated from him to where it made music that was this type of praise to god when he was in heaven and the bible talks about different types of angels and now i am by no means in expert in angel, and I have angels, and I haven't studied it very uh, very extensively, but I will tell you this, the Bible only mentions a couple angels by name. It only mentions a couple specific positions of angels, and it only mentions one angel having the position that Satan had in heaven. He was the covering cherub. He had this special position. Now, if you understand what it's implying here in the language that the Bible uses, this covering cherub, he was, he was, his job was to almost like he was trying to protect the glory of God in heaven. He had this special position. It looked like no, no one else looked like he did. No one else sounded like he did. No one else brought forth the praise in heaven the way he did. The Bible tells in Revelation that right now there are angels who do nothing but bow down before God and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, all, uh, Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. That's their job. They do it all day long. But they, in all the years and thousands of years that they've been doing that before the throne of God, they couldn't come close to the glory that, that Lucifer in heaven presented as he was the covering cherub. You understand that Christ, when he came to earth, he was the glory of God in the body of a man. In heaven, the person who closest represented that was Lucifer. He protected the glory of God in heaven. But Lucifer knew he was different. He knew he was special. And you look at these texts here. It says, it says that he said, Satan said, I will ascend. I will exalt my throne. I will sit in the seat of God. I will ascend above. I will be like the Most High. Satan, though he had a special position that no one else in heaven had, 
he looked at God and said, you're the only one who has something I don't have, and I want what you got. But he didn't want it like I want to follow you and be like you. He wanted to take that spot. Are with me so far? Now, by the way, Pastor mentioned to me the time we need to be out of here, and I will tell you, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like cheating in church, but if, if you say amen, I think you understand. I don't need to keep preaching. I'll stop, right? So, uh, no, usually I get amens there. Y'all just laughed at me. All right. Now, listen, the pride in his heart caused him to challenge God who created him, caused him to challenge God for that number one spot. The Bible uses the word preeminence in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that later this week. And, uh, and the, the, he was swiftly defeated. It cast, cast to earth just like that. It was no problem for God. It wasn't even a fight for God. God, just like that, cast him out of heaven and was done with it. Now, just because Satan was cast out does not mean he was done fighting. You see, that pride was followed by his own bitterness and shame that he had to carry after his loss. Now, I want you to notice something real quickly here. Uh, pr- the prideful, people who are prideful, an effort to elevate themselves will bring other people down. Also, people who are bitter, people who carry shame, people who experience failure, sometimes because they're hurt, they will set out to hurt other people. Hurt people, hurt people. And that truth you can see it almost immediately in the devil. Because the devil cast out of heaven, and the next time, the first place we read about him in the Bible, Genesis 3. The Bible talks about how Satan came to Adam and Eve as a serpent. You with me? And if you can imagine that scene that took place in the garden, you can imagine uh, Adam and Eve, and the Bible says in the New Testament that Adam wasn't deceived. Maybe Satan had already came to Adam and tried to get him, and he, he wasn't going for it. But then he got to Eve, and we have this story. Now, look, I want to tell you, uh, from, from, from my perspective and my understanding of this, when I think about the fact that before this happened, where he went to Eve, he was cast out of heaven. He tried to be like God. He tried to set his throne up above. He tried to be like the Most High. And God wasn't having it and sent him straight to earth and kicked him out of heaven. He lost that spot that he had in heaven that was above all the angels. He lost that privileged position. And now he's on earth. And now he sees man. He sees the love that God has for that man. And he's thinking to himself, I was way better looking than them. I was way better at praising God than them. I was way better at protecting his glory than them. Look at them. I bet I could get them to sin. They're not as special as I am, and he loves them. And God's getting, uh, the devil's getting furious at man. And now he turns that anger that he has towards God for being kicked out of heaven, and he turns it to us. And he sees Adam and Eve. And he says, I can get them to fall. I can get them to sin just like I did. And you think about it, what was the sin that the devil had? He had pride in his heart and thought he could be like God. What did he tell Eve? She, God doesn't want you to eat that because as soon as you do, you'll know what he knows, knows and you'll be like him. Tried to get them the same way, the same thing that he fell for. And you got to imagine, now think about this. Here's the devil who thinks, I'm going to get you, God. I'm going to pay you back. You won round one, but this is round two. And I'm going to take these people. You love these people so much, and you made all this for them. You set up this whole garden. You put them there, and they have this privileged position. And they have all this, and you walk with them every morning, and you spend time with these people, and you love these people, God. I'm going to hurt you by taking them down. And, and, and he does. And Eve takes that fruit. And could you imagine getting in trouble for eating a piece of fruit? I'm telling you, my kids have never gotten in trouble for eating fruit. 
we tell stories sometimes. We tell stories, you know, uh, we use the illustration, you know, about a little kid who goes in and he sneaks cookies from the cookie jar and he's got cookies all over his face. And mom comes in and says, did you eat the cookies? He says, no. And he's got cookie crumbs all over It never happened with an apple. Okay? It, the fruit had nothing to do with it. It was disobedience to God. And we need to understand that as God's people is that it doesn't matter what God tells you to do. You listen to God. Okay? And, uh, uh, side note, sorry. Now, and so you have this situation here where the devil comes out and he says, I'm going to cause you to fall. I'm going to take down man because of, because of my anger towards God. And he does. And Adam and Eve sin. And that next day, God comes to meet Adam like he did any time before. And Adam's nowhere to be found. He's hiding because he realizes his own shame and his own sin because he had crossed that line. He had transgressed. He had eaten what he was told not to eat. And the devil over there watching from the sidelines sees him. And he's looking and he's thinking, Ha! Got you! How about that, guys? You love those people so much, you kicked me out of heaven for my sin. What are you going to do to those people, God? You said that they should not eat. You said if they eat, then you're going to punish them with death. God, what are you going to do? And God says, You're right. I did say that. And sin has to be punished. And understand, sin does have to be punished. And God looked at Adam and Eve and said, you know, uh, uh, this is a bad situation. And guess what? You will have to be punished. You are going to lose some of this privilege you've had. But by the way, look at that. What's that? That's a lamb. He took that lamb. And he sacrificed that lamb. He said, this is a picture of what I'm going to do for all mankind in sacrificing this lamb. Why? Because you sin. Because somebody has to pay. And so he sacrificed the lamb, and in faith, Adam believed that. And in faith, Adam and Eve trusted in God's salvation. And in faith, they were redeemed back to man. And as the devil's over here saying, oh, I got you, God looks at him and says, no, I got them. And by grace, they were saved through faith in the Christ that would come. Again, the devil suffers a loss to God in round two. Chick pause. Let me just, uh, that's, uh, sorry, doesn't make any sense to you. I haven't explained to you. My, my son is very uh, magic. My son Josiah, he's always in imagination land, you know. He's always thinking out some story. He's being some superhero. And one day he was in the living room playing, and he's, he's fighting bad guys, and he's out in Spider-Man, he's going, you know, all this stuff, and he's, he's being silly. And Shelly was making lunch, and she said, this is my wife, everybody. She was making lunch, and she said, Josiah. And he was like, Chick pause. Yes, ma'am. And she was like, do you want macaroni and cheese? And yes, ma'am. Chick pause. And he starts playing again. And then she was like, Josiah. And he said, chick pause. Yes, ma'am. And she said something. And he said, chick pause. And he starts playing again. I was like, what is he doing? I said, Josiah. He said, chick pause. Yes, sir. I said, are you pausing your imagination? <laughs> he said, he said, yes, sir. He got a little embarrassed. Like, no, it's, it's cool, but I'm going to use that in a sermon illustration. You watch. You know what? Uh, sometimes I have chick pause moments. I just want you to think about something, okay? And so you have to forgive me. My brain works this way, and you'll get used to it hopefully by Wednesday. So I, I don't, I'm not a huge sports fan. I hope I don't lose any guys with that. I'm not a huge sports fan. The one sport that I really do like, I probably shouldn't. I love UFC. I do. I do. I, it's probably wicked out of hell, but until they ban it, I'm going to keep watching it, okay? So forgive me. But I, I like UFC. Now, the same thing with boxing. I, I used to like boxing. Now I like UFC. I like them both. But either way, I'll try not to get off on that. But just think about this real quick, okay? When a champion fights someone, 
who's challenging him for the champion spot. You guys mind helping me? Can you just stand up real quick? Do you mind? Okay, so you want to be the champion? You stood up first. You'll be the champion, okay? So he's the champion, and this is the challenger, okay? Just turn and look at all the people. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Okay. And so we have the champion and the challenger. What happens if they go the distance of the fight? At the end of the fight, a ref will stand between the two, and the, the, the judges will add up the scorecards, and they both listen to hear this statement. They're either going to hear... And new champion of the world. Or they're going to hear, and still champion of the world. Does that make you feel good? You got Okay. All right. Go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. I just want you to understand that this is twice now that the devil has tried to take uh, God on. And this is twice now that he lost. And I think that out of all those angels, probably Gabriel, the messenger angel, he stood up in that moment when he, God redeemed man back to himself. That angel stood up and said, and still God won again. Now, I'm... I'm, uh, so maybe now the negative text makes a little bit more sense, because I'm just trying to remind you, as you probably figured out, God wins. God wins. So that was in the garden. I'm going to take you to another... I don't know why I'm out of breath. So y'all pray for me. Um, take you to another... You, you, you think about this. You think about Christ on the cross. You think about Jesus on the cross dying for the sins of the world. That's what God promised when He sacrificed that lamb. You understand? When He took that... This is... Listen... Adam, Adam never seen death before. Adam never seen... He named that lamb. He loved that lamb. It meant something to him when God took and cut that lamb open, butchered and mutilated that lamb, and said, no, you, those, that work of your own hands, those fig leaves, are not going to cut it. You need to be covered with this. It was a picture of us being covered with Christ through His sacrifice. Now... It was a big deal. You understand that was prophetic of what would happen on the cross. And now we go to where Jesus is dying on the cross. And you've got to understand, Satan has already tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Satan has already been fighting the devil. I mean, I'm sorry, Satan had already been fighting Jesus at, when Jesus was on earth as a man. Now we get to the point where Jesus is concluding his earthly ministry with the main reason why he came at all was the death of the cross. Now he's there. You understand that the devil wants God to lose. The devil wants us to lose. He wants to defeat God in his mind by hurting him through us. And he thinks this is supposed to be their Savior. You understand that the people that were with him, those 12 apostles and the other people who followed him, they didn't quite understand it either. They didn't understand. They said, this guy's supposed to be our Savior. Why is he dying? He's supposed to be delivering Israel from the rule of the Romans. That's what they were thinking. And here the devil is watching, hey, if this is their deliverer, if they butcher and kill him on that cross and put him in the ground, they don't have a deliverer anymore. He still wasn't getting the big picture. And for some reason in his mind, he sat back and thought, this is it. He's going down. They're taken. They said, the Bible says that he was taken into the hands of sinful men. And Jesus was led away and he was beaten and he was uh, uh, crowned with the crown of thorns. And that, you know, as a child, I remember picturing Thorns like a rosebush, thorns like this. And then older, when I learned that the, that the thorns that they used to make that crown of thorns were three to six inches long. 
And the reason why it says they beat him on the head with the, with the reed afterwards, they took that crown with those long thorns, set it on his head, and then took a stick and banged it into his head to where the thorns went under the skin and were down under between his skin and his skull being held onto the top of his head. You understand that you think about the individual things that he suffered before he ever got to the cross. That beating of a cat of nine tails to think that there would be this whip of braided leather That sounds bad enough, but they didn't stop there. They took little pieces of stone or little pieces of metal or little pieces of bone or whatever was sharp, and they would braid it into that whip. And so when they would and they would practice to use that whip in such a way that when it would catch the side, it would wrap around, stick into the skin, and pull flesh off with it. Oh, could you imagine? The only person on earth that came from heaven to experience life as a human, to have to go through what he went through as a human, to think that somebody punched the face of God and what Christ went through on that cross. And all the while the devil thinks that I got you now. Now you're going down. Now I will win. The Savior, the so-called Savior of these people that God loves so much, he's on his way out. He's on the cross. He's nailed to the cross and he's bleeding and he's dying. And then they take his body down and they stick his body in a borrowed tomb. I love that borrowed tomb because he borrowed it because he wasn't planning on keeping it. Amen. And so he, they, they stick him in that borrowed tomb. But still, Satan, I, I remember hearing a, a preacher in Bible college preach. Brother Richard, Pastor Lejeune, sorry. Sorry, God. Um, I remember uh, uh, somebody preaching and talking about uh, uh, the devil partying in hell for three days. And then at the end of the three days, the devil got nervous and said, wait a minute. He said something about tearing down the temple and building it up again. And so the devil and all of his demons went to the garden to make sure that that stone didn't roll away. And they all were, they partied for three days and they came and watched. And I remember the guy just being funny. He said, I think they took the fattest devil in hell and stuck him on top of the stone so it couldn't roll away. And, uh, but I love the fact that when we get to that story, when the stone does roll away, and it did roll away, he wasn't even in there. He didn't need the door to be open. He was already risen. And I think that, uh, again, over in the distance somewhere, Gabriel stood up and said, And still on Sunday morning when he rose from the grave, because death could not hold our Savior down. Now look, he tried in the garden. And there's other stories I could tell you. There's other stories I could tell you. We might talk about Job a little bit this week. That's a good one to remind you that the devil's a loser. Now, there's some other stories that, that we could talk about, but I'm going to skip to the end. I'm going to skip to the end real quick. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on that uh, I'm sorry, laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. I'm sorry, look, I don't think that saying shut up is nice, but I do, I, for some reason, I get happy every time I get to that. For some reason, I just feel like somebody finally shut the devil up. Shut up, devil. And that, so I love, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They shut him up, right? But they, that means that they put, him, they put him in the pit, right? They cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him. That he should, I guess we could be mean to the devil, whatever. All right. And uh, that he should deceive the nations no more uh, uh, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose for a season. Okay, so just get the idea here. So Satan gets sent. I'm going to go back up here for a minute. So 
Satan gets this thousand-year sentence, and it was temporary for a purpose. There's a millennial reign. We'll rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Jesus will literally sit on the throne of David in Israel and, uh, and rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, but that was temporary, so watch what happens here. So after this prison sentence, almost a thousand years, Satan is released with the intention of finally, once and for all, defeating that reigning champ. That's his goal. And he gathers an army like no one has ever seen and fully surrounds all that he thinks God holds dear. He's surrounding God's people at Israel with Jesus on the throne. And he thinks that he's going to win. Look at these verses 7 through 10 of the same chapter. It says, And when the thousand, thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they, went, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven, out of, came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now I want you to understand this. Is that here you have the devil. And listen to me. I promise you, anybody who had this big of a grudge, who was this bitter and this angry as the devil was, if they had a thousand years to think about it, they're going to come up with a plan too. And for a thousand years, the devil sat in that pit thinking how he was going to deceive all the nations to gather themselves together against Jesus sitting on the throne of David. And just like that, he does. To me, it's like unfathomable. How would he even do that? Like, I, maybe I'm thinking too, you know, logistically or something. How does he do that? How does he just get out of hell and then just, or the pit and just come say, hey, everybody follow me. We're going to go, you know. But he does. So much that God uses that phrase that he does sometimes. He says, as they were numbered as the sand of the sea. There's so many people who can't count. You can't, you're not going to sit there and count all the sand on the beach. Same thing. The army was so big, like, I don't know, there's too many. I'm not counting them. That was, that, it was a lot of people. And they all gather around. And this is a future event that is going to happen. You understand? They, they weren't, the Bible talks about, at one point, blood being up to the bit in the horse's mouth. It talks about horse and stuff like that, uses different things. That's old ways of battle. But I think it, probably because it was stuff that the people who were writing didn't understand yet. They wrote the best they understood. I think it's going to be futuristic weapons that we might not even have yet. And they're all gathered together there with, I don't know, laser guns. and stuff. I have no idea. But all of them, all the nations of the world, their armies, gathered together to take on Jesus. And the Bible says, just like that, fire comes out and destroys them all into the story. I mean, it's like one little statement. It's not even a whole sentence. He says, hey, devil, bring everything you got. And guess what? God's going to say, boom, you're gone. Hey, Gabriel, over in the corner. You want to help me out this time, guys? And still, you ready? Gabriel, here we go. You ready? And you're not helping me. And God always wins. God always wins. Now, here's the deal. You say, why are you telling us this and just like yelling in front of people or something? I don't know. I'll tell you. I'll explain it more tonight. Be sure you come tonight. I am an introvert and I hate being in front of people. I promise. Now, what's my point? There's nothing that can defeat my God. There's nothing that can beat our God. Nothing can stop him. No matter what happens in our lives, he's still the champ. And we are on the winning side. The Bible says we are overcomers. 
The Bible says we're not only conquerors, we're more than conquerors. You understand, how do you be more than a conqueror? I'm going to tell you right now. If I go out and fight a battle, whether it's a physical fight or a fight in my family, trying to get my kids to do right, trying to get myself to do right, struggling with an addiction, struggling with uh, some type of temptation, uh, uh, marital problems, financial problems, whatever that battle is, if I go out, there's a chance that I can fight my way through it and come out victorious. But let me tell you this, because this is great. You know how you're more than a conqueror? Is if you're already guaranteed the victory before you even fight the battle. And we have that through Christ. We are more than conquerors. And I love that about our God. I love the fact that once I got saved, I was promised a spot in heaven, and that cannot change. So I'll tell you more of my testimony tonight, but let me just tell you this real quick because I get happy about it. When I was a kid, about eight years old, a bus, just like that bus that parked in front of the building and let those little kids off this morning, a bus came by my house, Brother Richard. And I lived in an apartment building. The kid that lived on the end apartment, his name was Wayne. He had already gone to the church. Well, Wayne, Sunday school teacher, said, you bring a visitor next week, I'll give you a Mountain Dew. And you can drink that on your way home and really drive your mom crazy. So I got invited to church by Wayne to ride that bus. And I rode that bus. And then, well, what he did was he told the bus captain, hey, come, I got a visitor in another apartment. He came down to my house. Well, I didn't know this until later, but the bus captains, they had two buses. The bus captains were in a competition, like, a, like the fall program, you know. They were having this competition between the two bus captains to see who could get the most weight on the bus. So now they were fighting over me because I was the fat kid. <laughs> now... You literally, when you pulled up at the church, somebody came out with a, with a notepad and a scale, and they put the scale down, and you would step off on the scale, and they just write down the weights and add them up. And whichever bus captain ended up with the most weight on his bus, he won some prize, some trip. And I know we would never do that now, right? It's actually a really fun idea. But anyways, but so here's, here's me. I didn't go to church and all, but they're like, hey, kid, want a Snickers? And, you know, they're, they're trying to get me. And it uh, seems creepy, right? But I rode to church, and I'll never forget I'll never forget being on that bus and having this guy who knew I was a visitor. His name is Dave Sanko. He knew I was a visitor, and he was so... He wanted me to go to heaven so bad that he didn't wait for us to get to church. He took me on the back of that Sunday school bus, and he made all the kids move up to the front. And he sat back there with the Bible, and he showed me how I could know for sure I'd go to heaven. And that day when I was about eight years old, I prayed and I asked Jesus to save me. And on that day when I was eight years old, though the devil was saying, this kid's going to go straight to hell, the archangel Gabriel stepped out of, I stepped on that bus and said, no, and still, and he's got me saved. I got saved when I was a kid on that bus. Amen. Now look, and I, I love seeing the buses pull up because of that. I love seeing the buses pull up because of that. Because there's a, there's a little me out there on that bus that might get saved today. And here's the thing. I'll, again, I'll go, I'll, I might tell you a little bit more tonight, but I just want you to think about this. I, I got saved by faith. I got saved by grace through faith. I placed my faith in Christ, and that got me saved, where I don't have to go to hell and I get to go to heaven. When I got a couple years older, we moved. I didn't ride the church bus anymore. I didn't go to church. My parents didn't go to church. And I really started living for the devil. Now, you understand this. 
I was doing things that no Christian should do. I was with people that no Christian should be hanging out with, going places and talking. If you would have seen me as a teenage me, you would have never believed I was saved because you would be looking on the outside. But I want you to understand something. That nothing I did got me saved, and therefore nothing I could do could lose my salvation. And I love the fact that when you think about how much of a winner our God is, He doesn't just save us from what we did. He saves us from what we'll do. Past, present, and future, all of our sins get washed away. And that spot that we got in heaven is eternal. We will never lose it. And that's a wonderful thing to me. Once saved, always saved. Hey, I spent some time down in the South, Brother Richard. You know what they'd say down there? They could say, I could swing out over hell on a rotten corn stalk, singing Amazing Grace, spitting devil's eye and he can't do nothing to change the fact that I'm saved. Amen. Now listen. Every hardship every hardship that you face you should hear that voice in your head. And still. And still. It doesn't always seem like it in the moment. It rarely seems like it in the moment. But he's still the champion. It doesn't matter what sickness comes. It doesn't matter what loss we face. He's still the champ. It doesn't matter how hard the devil tries to fight. There's a song, Once again I face Satan this morning. How many of y'all sing that every morning? Right? He's still the champ. Still the champ. Pandemics, politics, health, People problems, most problems are people problems. Struggles with sin, the world around us, all the uncertainty. He's still the champ. He's still the champ. Now in closing, I just want you to think about this. It may not seem like it sometimes, but the truth is we've already won. We've already won. If I asked you to right now, you could think of problem after problem after problem that you faced in the past, past that you don't even think about now. One day in heaven... We'll wipe away all tears. And every problem that we've ever faced on this earth won't matter anymore. And we'll spend forever with the champ. Spend forever with the champ. Now, we just need to... Christian, I encourage you. Christian, I encourage you to live that way. The Bible says, Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you think that getting saved means you got an easy life ahead of you, I'm sorry. But listen, getting saved means that that hard life that is ahead of you, you'll go through with the champ. That is so worth it. And when we get to heaven, we won't even care anymore <laughs> about what we faced here. Now listen, the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's, that's a great verse. That's a great verse every Christian should live by. We need to believe. We need to believe. God's got this. He's the champ. And even if I can't see it, I'm still sticking with him. Now, if you're here today, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe there's a good chance, there's a good chance that there's somebody here and, and you've not experienced that for yourself yet. You know what I told about being on the bus? Now look, when I was on that bus, he made it real simple for me, brother. It's not, it's, not, it's not really that complicated. It doesn't take some big thing to happen. The big thing already happened. Jesus died and rose again. All that God's looking for is just like that verse says, without faith, 
It is impossible to please him. He just wants us to trust him for salvation. Now listen, that promise that he has for us of heaven, that's through his son. We can't get it from anywhere else. It's through Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one who died on the cross. Jesus is the one who paid for our sin. And Jesus is the one who rose victorious over death. Find me somebody else that got themselves out of the grave. So Jesus did that for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's heaven. That's that promise. That's that victory. That's that, that champion uh, 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 living that we're talking about there with God. Now, but you get that by faith. If, if you had to work to get it, we, none of us would make it. You get that by faith. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, it's real simple. Obviously, I just said I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So I am a sinner. There are none righteous, no, not one. What's righteous? Righteous is blameless. Nobody can say, I ain't never done nothing wrong. You're lying. You just lied. That's wrong. Okay? Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. I understand that that word sin, just like we talked about with Adam and Eve, they got in trouble for eating fruit. It didn't matter. They disobeyed God. And you can say, well, I ain't never killed nobody. Well, good. But you probably hated somebody in your heart. And Jesus said that was the same thing. You see, it doesn't matter. You cross a line that God said not to cross. Or you didn't do something that God said to do. That's sin, and we've all done it. And even to prove that point, the Bible says that we've come short of the glory of God. That means that God's not comparing us to each other. Yeah, he, you know, he's a pastor. We, we, pastored, we, we worked together in Chicago. And I, we used to go sowing in the streets all the time. And it would be like literally... I would be on one corner witnessing to somebody and there would be a guy selling drugs right here all the time, right? And so I started using that to my advantage. I will go witness somebody and say, hey, you know, it's easy for me to say I'm not as bad as that guy selling drugs over there, right, because I'm the pastor. And they always would think that was funny. I don't know why. But, but they, would, they would laugh at me and I'd say, but think about it. God's not comparing you to me, the pastor, or to the drug dealer. You've come short of his glory. He's comparing you to him. Well, folks... If that's what i got to match up against, I, I'm in a bad place. I will never come close. We're all sinners. So what did God do about it? Just like with that lamb. He made us acceptable sacrifice to cover our sin. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, remember, sin had to be punished. That's why God said, yeah, you're right, Satan. Adam and Eve, they have to die. So guess what? I'm going to pass that death onto this lamb right here. Yeah, he punished somebody for sin. Same thing for you and me. God says, you need to go to hell, but you know what? I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to butcher my son, Jesus, on the cross for your sin. And when Christ died on that cross, when he suffered that cat of nine tails and that crown of thorns and the beating from those guards, and he nailed and hung to that cross until he uh, uh, finally couldn't breathe anymore and bled out and died, when he died on that cross and his human heart stopped beating, the heart of God pumped like a way it never had pumped before because he did what he said he would do to make a way to redeem man back to himself. Now listen, when Christ went down that grave, he took our sins with it. The Bible says that he nailed our sins to his cross. And then when he rose from the dead, he didn't bring that sin back with him. He left it there. The sin was paid for. And when he got about the grave, he had victory over death and victory over sin. And he paid that price for us. Now, let me tell you this right now. For the person here who does not yet know for sure you're going to heaven, if God died for the whole world, 
which he did. For God so loved the world. God died for the whole world. How can people still go to hell? That should be your question right now. If everybody's a sinner, everybody dies, penalty for sin is death and hell, the Bible says. If he died for the whole world, how come, you know the Bible says that death hath, in, I'm sorry, hell hath enlarged herself. Why do you have to make a room bigger? You need more space. Hell had to get bigger so many people are going there. Why are people going to hell if Jesus died for it? It's this simple. Because the people who go to hell don't accept what he did. You understand? It's that simple. I got a, a cheap pin here. My wife stole my good pin. I don't know, sweetie. All right. So just play along with me. Just bear with me for a few more minutes. I'm, I'm done in three minutes, okay? Here's a pin. I got this pin for you, Pastor. It cost 17 cents. I'm just kidding. Now look, folks, think, just, think, just think with me here. I got the pen. I paid for the pen. I picked the pen up. I, I, I cleaned the pen. And I have the pen, and I'm giving you the pen. Okay? Jesus paid for uh, our sin already. Okay? He already did it. I've done everything, and I'm giving it to you. Why doesn't he have it? <laughs> I've been hold- How long have I been holding my hand out? I told him I was giving it to him. You see, people literally die and go to hell because of this right here. They're trying so hard. He's over here polishing my shoes. He's washing my car. He's, he's coming to my house every weekend to listen to me talk, like going to church. He's getting on his knees and talking to me every day, like praying. He's doing all these things, thinking that that's going to get the pen. I paid for the pen. I'm giving you the pen. He doesn't get the pen until he does what? Until he accepts it. Thank you. I'll take it back out. All right. <laughs> now, let me just ask you this question real quick. And we are going to close, I promise. If I, said, if I gave him the pen and said, okay, I gave you the pen, now you owe me 17 cents, is that a gift? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You understand, eternal life cannot be here. This is temporary. Eternal life can't be hell. That's eternal death. Eternal life is heaven. And we have that through Jesus. If it's through Jesus, I can't get it from the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the Methodist church. It's a person. Jesus. Why? He's the one who died for me. I can have heaven through Jesus, but it's a gift. I can work as much as I want, and I'll never get it that way. I just have to accept it. You say, how in the world do I do that? I'll tell you. Because when I was eight years old, I did it. That guy who was with me, Dave Sanko, he said, if you believe that, that's the key, because it's faith. You have to believe it by faith. He said, if you believe you're a sinner on your way to hell, but Jesus died for you, trust him for salvation, meaning you believe him and nothing else. You understand, um, Pastor, do you mind if I use you for just a second? So you get to be Jesus. Okay, so here's Jesus. Now, look, this is what a lot of us do. I believe in Jesus, but who am I trusting in to hold me up right now? Could you step away? Did I fall? I'm not trusting him to hold me up. I'm still trusting in myself, but I'm making it look good. That's what a lot of us do. Faith in Christ is this. Okay. I'm glad he figured it out. (sighs) You think you were scared. Okay. Now look, folks. You say, how do I do that? It's a prayer of faith. It's not. Look, we should all pray every day. But that's not what you do to get saved. Jesus said you must be born again. That's a time and a place. It's an event that happens. 
You need to get born again. That's a time and a place where you say, God, I'm done trusting in me. I'm done trusting in trying to be good. I'm done trusting in my baptism. I'm done trusting in praying. I'm done trusting in uh, 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 some religious figure. I'm trusting in you and you alone, 100%. If you don't catch me, I fall. That's the prayer of faith. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God cannot lie. If he said he'll save you, he'll save you. He has to. That call is a call of dependence. Listen, he used a very similar example in Sunday school, but we used to be in Chicago right there on Lake Michigan. You go out in the water far enough, you can't see land anymore. Now, for some reason, for me, that's a mental, not like, whoa. I mean, like, now I'm scared because I can't see the land anymore. If you fall in that water and the people on the boat just keep going, they don't even realize you fell. Now imagine, you're out in that water, you can't see land. There's, my point is there's no way of saving yourself, and then here comes a boat in the distance. You understand, we use the word call all the time because we have phones in our pockets. I can call and say, hey, sweetie, what you doing today? Or what's up? Whatever. And I can call and say, 911, I have an emergency. You see, the call, it can mean something different. But that word call in the Bible means what you would do if you were in that water and you saw a boat going by. You would yell and scream as if the only way you're getting out of that water is if they hear you. That's what it means to call on the Lord. You're praying and you're saying, if I go to heaven, it is only because of you. I'm trusting you as my Savior. When I did that, it wasn't something magical or spooky. It was a promise of God in the Word of God. And that promise holds true for every person in this room. The pastor's going to come in just a second for invitation. Christian, you're already saved. I want you to be encouraged. He's still the champion. And you pray for anyone right now that's lost. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, I'm telling you, not to be unkind, but the biggest mistake you'll ever make in your life is walk out that door not knowing you're saved. You are not promised tomorrow. You are not promised tomorrow. Let's, uh, let's do business with God as pastor sees fit.